What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we dive into this week's fantastic episode, we haven't even recorded yet, so that's, I don't know, it might be good. Who knows? Let's give it a go, Mark, shall we? Who knows? We've shown up enough times. (laughs) But we would like to thank everyone uh, who sponsors this show. That's you, Mm. our patrons out there in patron land. Thank you so much to everyone. And today we have a new patron. Uh, We have Susan Holmes. What a brilliant, I think that is, that, that, that as a character name, that would definitely fly, wouldn't it, as a surname? Sherlock, yeah, next generation yeah. of Sherlock, yeah, solving crimes, uh, you know, so, absolutely. So thank you, Susan, for joining <laughs> joining you, the Susan. BXP crew. And if you would like to be like Susan and you would like to join our exclusive Facebook group and get all of the incredible deep dives that we've done over the many years now, amazing, amazing content, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and if you'd like to go even deeper with mark and i as your coaches then pop over to the academy at academy.bestsellerexperiment.com mr stay how have you had a chance to have a breather or has the year just been like running away like a train still i am so busy (laughs) i mean it's good it's it's all good i mean none of it's really paying the money's all over there on the horizon you know but uh just uh just today got a film script out the door to some producers which is really exciting it's very exciting project uh all i'm going to say is rom-com musical there you go oh, there's well, a slight rom-com rom-com there's a slight it's pivot all, yeah it's a yeah. slight pivot but like <laughs> rom-com it's all in the news right now i i saw an article this morning on the bbc about um a rom-coms making a comeback so oh, you, they are, you're mate. just timing they are. and there's there's something about megan and harry pivoting oh, no. to That's rom-com that's no, no, me. no, no, I know, but <laughs> apparently that they're, they're, there's been a bit of a backlash against their doco, so their production deal with Netflix is going to focus on rom-coms, apparently. So anyway, you're, you're obviously on the right tack there. It's, it's a feel-good movie. It's a definite feel-good movie. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make us all smile and have us dancing in the aisles if, uh, if, if it comes out the way we want it to, and I, I think it will. So yeah, it's, it's all, all good stuff. And then line edits, I'm just in line edits, uh, Joy, I'm just this novel I'm writing with Claire which uh, we'll talk about in the extended edition a bit more. Okay. Um, you know, we're at the line edit stage before I send it to my agent and see if he likes it and wants to sell it. So it's... Uh, we, got, we do got, have to let people know we've got tons and tons of new listeners since the Richard Armitage episode, yes. which went viral Hello, on you YouTube. wonderful people, yeah. Hello to all Richard Armitage fans. We're so <laughs> grateful for you to be with us and, and welcome to the welcome to the, to the the experiment. And um, But for people that don't know, when you mention Claire, Claire is your wife and Claire... Mm wrote a book with a 200 word challenge she did um, 
and did it in less than a year, didn't she? It was nine. Did months. the first draft, yeah, and then first she draft. would give she would give me um, the story is basically she give me a draft and then I give her notes. She go away rewrite it. We did this three times, and then it was over the summer. We've started referring to the book as the kitchen because we need a new kitchen, right? It's it's it's, <laughs> it, it's it's gone from rustic to doors falling off. Okay, so and uh, so we need a new kitchen, and we jokingly refer to the kitchen in the vain hope that the advance might get us a new kitchen. You I know, love it. and advance is being what they are these days. It probably won't, but you never know. So, uh, and all through the summer, which is her busiest time of year because she's a gardener. Mm. Uh, I, I said, "How's how's the kitchen coming on?" She says, "I'm really tired. It's really really exhausting." And, and I've given her notes, and we're at the stage after three drafts. It's real nitpicky stuff. Okay, it's real. You know. And we were watching telly one night. I said, how's the kitchen? She said, I'm really tired, really tired. I said, do you want me to have a go at it? And she grabbed my hand. She said, I've been waiting for you to say that. So I've, I've taken, I've basically, you know, taken over. So I'm rewriting it and I'm giving her what I've written and she's giving me notes and we're polishing, polishing, polishing. So that's where we are at the moment. Um, and we're just at the stage now where we're about to send it out to my agent. And it's- you know, ties in nicely with our guests but we're not going to go oh, there yeah. yet because there's some yeah, more yeah, stuff yeah. i just want i just want to like bring up something that's a bit of an <laughs> elephant in the room mark to be honest and i think there's a lot of people thinking the same thing but is this the only time in a loving long-term marriage relationship that you can give your wife notes <laughs> <laughs> well i have directed her in plays you see Ooh, um, Matt. So, so yeah, approach a precursor. <laughs> I was going to say you're a you're a you're a definitely definitely a, a a better man than I man. If you if you if you can get through that, it's that, that's. But what great what a great way of collaborating together on something well, that's what it, being it, parents, it is right. It's it, lovely it, to be able it to is break. A, it is break a collaboration. Mold. It is yeah. a collaboration. And Claire and I, I've known Claire since we were teenagers. You know, so we know each other well enough to say that's cobblers. Don't tell me that, you know, whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a very open, uh, uh an honest relationship. Yeah. It, years ago, years ago, Brilliant. you know, uh, people say to me, um, uh, particularly like with the Woodville books, they say, you write female characters really well, you know, for a man. Uh, and I, I say, well, you know, I, when I would write, I would write roles for Claire and she go, I'm not saying that. <laughs> that, that's, that's rubbish you know and you know so you'd sit and you'd listen and and improve and it's only take me 30 years to sort of get oh, my head around right. it so yeah yeah it's good it's good progress Slow learner. <laughs> talking of talking of theater and directing i went to see my my youngest uh has, has all in into theater now is absolutely mm. brilliant keeps getting keeps getting like lead roles and all the local local things going brilliant. on but i got to see her yesterday play grim grim grimsby in little mermaid <laughs> Right. Uh, playing this my my 14 year old daughter playing this aristocratic like i don't know 60 year old english gentry bloke brilliant <laughs> but the thing that was the thing that was absolutely fantastic about it is it was like right at the beginning of the the the, the, the play i think prince eric and and grimsby come out and the, the ships all over the place and um my daughter it's like she didn't tell me but she's got like full-on tash <laughs> <laughs> and I just nice. for the first for the first five minutes, I'm just looking at it, thinking, I just, oh my gosh, she's got like a moustache, <laughs> and it's brilliant. She looked absolutely so. Congratulations, Desi. She did such a great job of it. But but yeah, I've got I've got photos photos of her that's, with her moustache with her 19 year old brother. It was so <laughs> that I mean that's that's, that's how I started uh, first in school theatre and then in local theatre, which you know gets fobbed off as oh it's amdram 
I learned so oh much gosh. from doing that. It's, and it's you do the, a bit of everything. You work backstage, yeah, you work in yeah. props, you do, and you get on stage and, you know, it's it's wonderfully collaborative. I learned a lot and that inspired me to go on and start, you know, Claire and I to start our own theatre company yeah. and then write my own plays and, you know, here we are now. So um, it's a great, Brilliant. it's a great place to learn stuff. Yeah. I want to just tell you a little uh, heartwarming story about that because when she, she, when my daughter first got into trying theatre, she'd never done a proper production before. And the first production she ever got involved with was Godspell, the musical. Oh, yeah. And, and it, with Jen, my wife, everyone who's kind of like heard the, the backstory of what happened with, with, with Jen, um, she, when she went to film, she went to theatre directing, that was her thing. And she directed in Cambridge at the Arts Theatre, like one big, big theatre. Wow. Her first ever production was Godspell. And it was such an amazing moment that my daughter's first, like, play that she was ever in happened to also be the first play that my my wife ever directed and it was just like a lovely moment so a lovely connection there for for you know daughter and mum you know be it that Jen couldn't be there to kind of experience and watch it and she'd have loved it if she was but um just a lovely moment and just how that happened to tie all together brilliant well that's fascinating there's another you know we've been doing this six and a half years now we're learning something new your wife has directed theatre my wife's directed theatre really right. I'm just going to show you something and viewers on. viewers on YouTube you're going to get a little treat I'm just going to take my headphones off and just show you something one second because oh, Claire Claire directed uh, a stage version of Harvey you know, right. which was on the stage first, then made into a brilliant movie movie with Jimmy Stewart, where he's got talking to a six foot invisible rabbit. And one of the key things in that is there's a portrait of uh, Jimmy Stewart's character and the rabbit, uh, which Claire had to get made for her production. So wait there, have a look. <laughs> I feel like I need Mark's running off. He's running out. He's running out of the room. I feel like I need to. Oh my gosh. That couldn't have been that couldn't have been more perfectly placed for the podcast. It's like literally that couldn't have been more perfectly placed, Mark. Like I know, right I know. there by the door. It's like da-da-da. It's, it's I mean, when I if I leave it open and do a Zoom call, people go, What the hell is that? <laughs> Donnie Darko. <laughs> Looks like Donnie yeah. Darko from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That's, that's a lovely, oh, a lovely guy called yeah, Lou Livesey. He looks like Santa Claus, big white, but it couldn't be more different from Jimmy Stewart, but he was lovely in the role. So, yeah, that's that's what that that is. That is out there. So, yeah. Isn't that brilliant? Brilliant. <laughs> well, so everyone out there who loves and supporting theatre, brilliant. Go for it. Like, go go and see a local. If you mm. haven't been to the theatre lo- recently, go and see a local production. Just, just open the paper, see what's on, and go support your local theatre because it's just an incredible group of people the, the amount of work they put in yeah the set building like some of the set building in these local it's theaters, amazing like, they're absolutely phenomenal so yeah. so yeah go support people in local theater and and great great way to kind of get excited about story and and there's nothing like live theater it's, it's definitely absolutely brilliant definitely. really Mark, well listen i think we better dive in and talking of like um uh siblings and and relationships <sighs> within families let's talk about our guests today this is, yes, guests, plural. So this is Zach and Michael Erlocker, who are twin, a twin brothers writing team. So I think that's the first for the yeah. podcast. Um, and their debut novel, The Man from Middlework, it's a murder mystery in that kind of classic 50s noir style. It has elements of science fiction, time travel, twins, the aftermath of World War II. It's terrific stuff. So we discuss tips for collaboration, accepting gifts from strangers, and why brute force can solve any writing problem. And just uh, just as a clue, because I was listening back to this and thinking, which one is which? You hear Zach's 
voice first in this when I when I ask, ask the question. Good luck with that. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. No, this is a fantastic interview, folks. You're going to love, love, love this. So let's sit back and enjoy this excellent interview with Mark chatting with the lovely Zach and hilarious Mike Erlocker. Zach and Michael Erlocker, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, folks? Good, good. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. It's, it's wonderful to see you both, and it's not often we get co-authors together, and it's even rarer. This might be a first. I think it's the first time we've had twins in over six years of the podcast. But you've written a book together under the under the pseudonym M.Z. Erlocker. See if you can figure that one out, folks. Uh, and it's the the man from Mittelwerk. Uh, so, gents, tell us about this book. Well, it uh, began a few years ago. So I, I uh, had always wanted to write a book, a novel. And uh, Michael and I both like the same kind of authors, uh, you know, Philip Kerr, Raymond Chandler, these types of people. And um, uh, NaNoWriMo had come around, National Novel Writing Month in November. And I thought, I've been thinking about this and outlining let me actually commit and write i think you were unemployed too right yes i was between jobs (laughs) so that gave me some free time and so i wrote the first draft during uh nanowrimo uh and and you know that was about uh, fifty thousand words declared victory and then you know should have stopped there (laughs) (laughs) four years later you know we had a finished book so it was a long process that's um Yes, you've skipped right to the end there, Zach. But we've got we've got Michael interjecting there. So, Zach, you wrote this alone in NaNoWriMo. Is that correct? Yeah. So, Michael, when did you come into the process? Uh, so, so Zach, uh, and and by the way, that's not his real name. Uh, Zach um, had had sold the book to a publisher. Um, uh, you'd think it must have been sight unseen, and uh, and then he started. And I had I had looked at it uh, and had offered some commentary, and um, at some point I think it was January 2018. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Zach kind of did the old Tom Sawyer thing and said, "Hey, you know, I'm having such fun uh, writing this book. You know, if you're lucky, I might let you help." And uh, you know, I got suckered into that. Um, I, I, I used to be a journalist. Uh, so, you know, the first task was uh, Zach put me in charge of uh, uh, technical things. Technical things. So is that how you divvied up the labor? Did you focus on particular aspects of the story and then sort of circle back to it? On, no, on each it was other? mostly Mike complained about the writing in some parts. <laughs> and I said, well, why don't you see if you can edit it? And then he'd edit it. And then he'd complain about a chapter. And I'd say, why don't you friggin' write the chapter? <laughs> yeah, it went like that. <laughs> so so to be clear, uh, and, and I think this is actually useful to to uh, some some listeners, to, to work a collaboration you have to, I think you're smart if you define the roles. And we didn't quite do that at the very beginning. Um, but, you know, I, I, I sort of figured there's three options here. Uh, you know, the, if, you, if you think about rock music, like, uh, you know, the people in Springsteen's band and the people in John Bon Jovi's band, they, they acknowledge, hey, there's a boss mm-hmm. and he's the CEO of the project. And the rest of us are uh, stooges who help out. And I thought, well, that's the role for me. 
Uh, no, to be true to, to Zach's vision, right? Like this is his book. He, he's, he's got this idea. He sold it. I'm in a support role. And um, so you can either be the CEO or the support or you, you do the partnership thing. And, and you know, I figured uh, there's, there can only be one boss, right? Uh, over time, you know, that sort of became a less comfortable position. Um, even this morning, you know, I phone Zach and I say, hey, the Zoom thing's not working. And he goes, well, why don't you friggin' contact Mark, stay and talk to him about it and stay, instead of wasting my time. <laughs> I didn't say all of that out loud, but you got the gist of it. I, I, I can read your mind. So you, you, you mentioned you mentioned rock and roll there, Bruce Springsteen, but of course, yeah. you know, you've also got the Gallagher's in Oasis, Dave and Ray Davis and the Kinks brothers who are constantly bickering and at oh, each other. Hate each other. Creative yeah. industries are fraught with volatile sibling collaborations. I mean, Lee Child and Andrew Child seem to be doing okay for the moment. I mean, you're having fun here, but was there a, you know, was there a frisson at some point? Zach, you know, you started this and you, you're the one who sold it to the publisher. What m- it inspired you to bring uh, Michael on board? Well, my, Michael's, uh, a, <laughs> Michael's a really good writer. He, he's a much better writer than I am. And we like the same kind of books. So it, it was very clear that he could help out and add value and, uh, you, know, you know, yes, there's a lot of uh, ups and downs along the way. Uh, it, it, but I would say, generally speaking, 80% of the time, it's pretty smooth. There's some rocky parts for sure. But the, the book came out much, much better as a result. And there are some scenes in there that, like I'm thinking uh, particularly, uh, uh, it's a very dramatic scene where uh, Schuler, this Nazi scientist, gets the main character, Jack Waters, onto the Z machine to sort of transport him in time and space. And and this was, I think it's the best scene of the book. Mike wrote that scene largely, Mike, it was largely by yourself. There had been earlier drafts of the scene, but it took it to a whole other level. So uh, yes, there's some tension. Uh, Mike uh, would call me out occasionally about... Uh, I need to be more of an editor to his writing, not trying to uh, rewrite his writing or what have you. Uh, I think we smoothed over uh, much of this. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, working with uh, family is is always hard because, uh, you know, you would say things to a family member that you might not say to uh, other people. <laughs> there, there's a, a, a candor that uh, is best yeah. left uh professional to a professional level so the you know the advice to the listeners is if you want to do a collaboration go get yourself a twin brother and Mm. and work that way and Uh, seriously there's a there's this very very interesting dynamic right that if zach says hey watch this movie or listen or or read this book there's a 95 percent chance i'm gonna think it's fantastic right? right and we have this common experience and common set of perceptions that that's really useful for, for, for collaboration. And then you get the, 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 the friction as well. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the book. Cause we kind of skipped over that. I, w- I want to talk about the book and how I, I can't even remember what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Um, so Zach, it started with you. Uh, where did this all begin? Where, where did, 
where did you first come across Mittelwerk and what happened there and what inspired you? What made you think there's a story here? I'm not even sure the, the Mittelwerk part of it, which is where uh, the Germans built the V2 rockets underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually came a little bit later in the genesis of the story. So right. originally it, it was kind of a, a murder mystery uh, it wasn't necessarily set in the past, uh, but I, I always like these sort of uh, genre blending books. And, and again, uh, Philip Kerr, who wrote Berlin Noir, was a, a huge influence. Uh, and, and he died and we thought, we're going to take that guy's spot on the bestseller list. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think I was just intrigued by some of the ideas around the uh, Time travel, kind of woohoo, kind of slightly Lovecraftian stuff. Mm-hmm. Feel uh, free I, to explain that stuff because I never understood it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, undescribable horrors of yes. the multidimensional, blah, blah, blah. But setting it in a historical context. And 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 World War II is just such a fascinating era. And then when I read about, um, you know, Operation Paperclip, uh, that is the uh, U.S. government's recruitment of German scientists uh, after World War II to keep them out of the hands of the Russians uh, and, and what went on at uh, Middlework. It was just fascinating. And the, the more research I did in that area, then it became, OK, this is a place to ground this story. And uh, I, I, I think by the time I got to NaNoWriMo, I had the basics in place of what it would be. Um, and, uh, I also really liked, uh, Robert Goddard, uh, English writer, if you're familiar yeah, with him, yeah. where he often intertwines past events into some kind of family tragedy and then brings it forward to the, the implications on the modern, uh, characters. The but wasn't this supposed to be a computer game at one point? Yes. Yes. And in, in fact, the, the reason the Z machine is, uh, if you're familiar with interactive uh, fiction, Infocom, and those sort of things, the, the architecture of that is called the Z machine. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting uh, thing. And and the first version of this was actually a prototype I wrote in a programming language called Inform. And it had the first couple of scenes. It didn't necessarily have the uh, whole historic thing to it. And then I thought, gosh, programming this stuff is really hard. Maybe maybe it'll be easier to write a novel. <laughs> and so that became, <laughs> not that it's an easy thing by any means, but uh, so it had this sort of complicated genesis. But, um, you know, I always had this idea of this the story. And then at some point, I mean, it didn't even have twin brothers in it originally, right. but that kind of became a, a way to enrich the characters and the story. Excellent. Right, what you know. Yes, just had twins. Uh, so, how was how was Nanorimo for you? What and what did you have? But did you have a completed novel by the end of that? And what kind of shape was it in? Yeah, Nanorimo is excellent. I really recommend either taking part in Nanorimo or doing an equivalent self uh, from a self disciplined point of view. Uh, it's so Nanorimo is the idea is you write an entire novel first draft in the month of November, which is thirty years. 31 days, whatever it is. So you have to write about 870 words a day. And I stuck to that uh, schedule. I'd written the outline. I knew the characters ahead of time. I wrote interviews with the characters to help me understand their thinking. Uh, I knew who the killer was, if you will. 
Although that changed later that changed, on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, that discipline is really good. And, and earlier, like in the mid nineties, I, I ran, uh, uh, I trained and ran a marathon and I ran marathons for 10 years. And writing a novel is like a marathon that just keeps going and going. It's uh, the 126 mile marathon. But that discipline of knowing every day you're making progress is really, really valuable. And I think probably I learned more from running marathons than anything else in my life. And the, the most important thing was brute force approach can solve almost anything. And just <laughs> having that discipline to, to put words on paper every single day. And even if you don't know what to write, write something. Mm -hmm. Because it's better to have mm -hmm. words on the paper than to have just Ideas, this random yeah. idea floating in the ether. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my my, my co-presenter, Mr. D, he's a runner, so he's going to be very happy with that analogy. He's, he's going to pick up on that. So let uh, listeners do check out uh, the blog, which is mzerlocker.com, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to that because the, the blog is fascinating because it's very much the warts and all ups and downs of, of what's going. So if I go to uh, the April 2019 blog, you talk about the fact that in February you had a publisher by now, uh, maybe we can talk about how you got that publisher at a moment. But you got a an editorial letter. You got a twenty page critique back from the publisher. Was it? Hey Zach, was this the first letter or the second letter? This was the one that could be uh, summarized as: "This book is crap. You guys are awful, <laughs> and why don't you just listen to me?" Oh, uh, this. So, uh, uh, Mister Stay, this was we we thought we had finished the book mm -hmm. for the second time. And we had basically taken a holiday gallivanting around Germany to celebrate and to look at the sites of our, our places. Mm. Research. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and we, we were just so stupid in how we were doing this. The publisher was really correct in telling us to where to get off. Right. Okay. Uh, I was, because my, my question is, is, you know, you look at the blog and you do, you've changed the, you know, you've changed the killer. Uh, there are big changes, there are structural changes. Did you ever feel that it was bending out of shape? Because this is something that we talk about in the academy a lot with uh, people in the academy where they're getting to a draft and it's, it's moving away from the, the thing that they originally conceived and they're making changes and they're worried, thinking, are these the wrong changes? Do I dare keep going forward? What was going through your minds at that time about the changes that you were making? Well, and we had a couple different editorial letters at different times, you know, mm -hmm. so I think we always tried to take the the good elements of it and, and, and be self-critical. Uh, there were some wanderings we did in the middle section that, that were crap, and, and we removed those and started again. And, 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 you know, it was a little bit too man in the high castle kind of right. history. <laughs> it had been done before. It wasn't particularly original. There was weird stuff in there. I mean, yeah. I, I wrote some utter nonsense. It was it was hilarious. I didn't say it. <laughs> it wasn't nonsense, but it, it wasn't. It wasn't the right tone. It wasn't the right tone for, for what we were trying to do. So uh, I think we we use these editorial letters as a way to get back to the basics. So I don't think we ever felt like like they were trying to steer us in a different direction, but it was more like uh, there's a phenomenon, I think, when you have a co-writer uh, and particularly when you have somebody who is very like-minded where you can pile on more ideas all the time yeah. <laughs> and every new idea generates another idea and another idea and another idea. 
And then you realize, okay, we've taken this too far. And it's sort of like uh, when U2 gets together and they keep adding more and more layers of guitar on top of guitar on top of guitar. And then at some point, Brian Eno has to come in and say, hey, strip it all back. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say uh, more than the story, what, what the editorial letters told us was that our process was wrong, right? So, right. so I'll, I'll give you an example. So Zach wrote this rapid draft and then we were editing it and and submitted that in for the first editorial letter and and the publisher Adam was like hey this has got to go this has got to go this has to be improved this has to be improved and then what we did is we sort of did this rapid fire okay i'll start with chapter 1 Zach starts with chapter 2 and we just started jumping chapter to chapter as quickly as possible revising and 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 trying to maintain what we had written and instead of just dumping large amounts wholesale. Right, right. And then and then we were doing this stupidity, I think, of like, let's alternate, you know, I'll write chapters one, three, five, seven, you'll write two, four, six. And, and you know, the letters basically said, hey, more or less, start from scratch. We didn't start from scratch, and that was probably a mistake, but it was the process. I, I never had any doubts about the story. More, it was like, how the hell are we going to do this? Was the question. It's interesting you mentioned the piling on of ideas. Uh, funnily enough, at the time of recording, just last night we had uh, a craft coaching session on our, on our academy. And that was my warning because we had someone ask about how do I get through that muddy middle? And I said, the temptation is to bring in more characters, to bring in more themes, more action, whatever, and just pile stuff on. But what that does is it just adds more complications to your story and ends up giving you more work. And very often, that's the time to pause, step back and see where you are in that character's journey of change. And as you say, maybe, you know, just strip it right back to the basics. So, uh, so yeah, so having gone through the process like this once already, and because this is a, there's going to be more in this series, I believe. Is, is that yes. correct? So is there- <laughs> what are the biggest lessons that you've learned that you're going to take with you onto the next books? I think the key takeaway is we need to start with a more thorough outline, something approaching 30,000 words. (laughs) Yeah, we're aiming for 50. (laughs) Um, You know, I think part of it is a first novel, you know, you're learning your craft. I think we're better writers now than we were Mm. when we started. Uh, I think Mm. we understand a little bit more about the structure of uh, the kind of novel we want to write. Uh, So I think as you get better with your craft, some of those early mistakes kind of get left behind in the rearview mirror. Certainly the first novel, you tend to throw every idea you've ever had into the the mix, which was a a mistake. Uh, I think the process issues are probably uh, still some things to iron out there. Uh, I actually think the idea of writing from uh, alternate chapters could actually work. Mm -hmm. Mike is a little skeptical of this. Uh, But the idea, like one thing that that balancing act, when you, when you create too much of an outline, it's not fresh. Yeah. We we overdid it. And I, I think you're still overdoing it. Like Zach's got an outline for book two. And I mean, it's a really interesting story and he's, kind of uh, made it very tightly integrated. But the the challenge we had was the chapters were sort of like blocks, like blocks of code. 
and and you knew this chapter has to end with this clue or this guy doing this, and and I think that restrains the creativity. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the best scenes in in the book, uh, the man from Middlework, were, were not part of the outline. They 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 kind of grew organically from the characters, and uh, I think. You know, I don't know exactly how to make more of that happen, but I think probably having less outline mm. and being less rigid is important. And, you know, there are quite a few chapters where, uh, you know, based on uh, alpha readers and stuff like that, where they said, hey, we need to know more about this character, or this thing. We wrote a new chapter and it's like, oh, it, it had a level of freshness to it, even mm. in the late stages of the book, where it's like, oh, that was a lot of fun to write versus yeah. when you're slogging through an outline and you feel like, you're just being held hostage by ideas that you created months earlier and maybe you're not even in love with. Uh, during a NaNoWriMo process from a first draft, I think having an outline is useful, but you can't be a slave to the outline. I think, you make I think, your brother the slave to the outline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think you're absolutely right. And this sounds very I'm sure Mr. D will be sitting there nodding to this. This sounds very, very familiar as well. Uh, but it's it's fascinating to me that. The, the thing I will say to you guys is, uh, and this happens to me with every book, uh, I will learn lessons having written the book thinking I'm not going to make those same mistakes again. And I don't. I discover all new mistakes yeah, every no single doubt. time. So it's it's all it's all part of the fun of the fair. It's all part of the uh, the the process. You mentioned tone a little while ago, and I, I want to talk about the the tone and the voice of the novel because it does have. You were kind enough to send me an advanced copy, and it has that wonderful noir, hard-boiled tone to it. Punchy sentences. Uh, it's it's. I mean, this is a classic book. You, you if you this. And I mean this in a in the most positive way. This is a good old fashioned book. You know, this you're going to give this to a dad or a grandpa or an uncle, or whatever. They're going to absolutely love it. How did you capture that tone, particularly with two of you writing it? Uh, how did you capture that that voice and that tone? Yeah, how did we? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is written from the first person perspective, mm. and so that makes it a little bit easier to uh, capture that style. Uh, I think uh, having read a lot of books in first person uh, uh, perspective, I think it, it it gets a little bit baked in. I think Michael also has a really good ear for dialogue. And I think uh, dialogue helps out a tremendous amount. And, you know, we also use the old uh, Raymond Chandler advice uh, when all else is in doubt, you know, have a man enter the room with a gun. Become, yeah. <laughs> and, and we use that many times to make a scene flow, have it uh, have a little bit more action. Uh, Jack Waters, the, the main character, you know, he's. He's struggling with things, you know, he's, he's got this, uh, his life is not going so well. And so there's a level of jadedness, a level of hurt that he brings. Uh, and he's trying to reconcile his past with his, you know, of his brother who is missing with his present, with his, uh, kind of failing relationship with his, uh, his girlfriend. So I think all of that leads to a level of sort of noir character. Mike, I don't know if you have more thoughts on this. Well, uh, in terms of tone, um, I actually think there's, there's, there's two tones uh, in, in the book at times. Um, and so there's this, again, our character is Jack Waters. There's times when he's moody and introspective and, you know, there's probably too many flashbacks. Like he's about to do something. He's like, Oh, that remembers, re reminds me of the time when we were kids and I did this thing. And, and, Oh, I, 
listen to that song and I I'm brooding about this and that that that's Zach's writing. Thank and, you. <laughs> no, like no seriously, it's like the, the longer psychological expanse. And my writing is is you know not always, but tends to that smell, uh, rotting flesh, very terse. Jeez, what is it? <laughs> so the short bursty sentences. That's me. And you know the editors would sometimes say, "Hey, like." Give that a break. Like try try sentences with 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 four words in them. <laughs> um, but but that was my natural style, and Zach's natural style was a little bit of more the the classic Chandler cynicism with with a whole bunch of regret piled into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we somehow fused it together. Fantastic! It's a great blend. It works really really well. I'd can like to can talk- I offer something? Yeah. Go for um, it. You know, I think as as writers, it's really important to to take uh, free gifts when they when they show up, right? So, uh, and and you know, I was at this party one day, and I, I talked to this guy who seemed to be a know it all, and he and he really was a smart guy. And he said, "Oh, detective fiction. Uh, a buddy of mine writes detective fiction." He goes, "What's your detective's quirk?" And I go, and I said, "What?" He goes, "Well, every detective has a quirk. What's your guy's quirk?" And I go, "Well, I." I never like we're on version two or three. I never thought of that. Uh, he goes, well, what does he do? I go, he plays jazz music and he's a, he's a GI from world war two. He goes, Oh, you know, and he's, he's got kind of PTSD. He goes, Oh, he should smoke pot. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, yeah. He should smoke pot to cope. And it's like, wow, that, that's a really good idea. So <laughs> when these things show up, like uh, and I phoned Zach or I emailed you that, that day and, and we embraced that immediately. It's like free gift made the story much richer. That's great. That's that's about always having your radar on as well for these yep. these little tidbits of information. I'd like to talk about the audiobook as well because I, I know you guys took it seriously uh, and it was important to have an audiobook. Uh, am I right thinking, Michael? You took care of the audiobook side of things. Yeah, that was another one of those uh, things. I don't want to have anything to do with it, but you can go ahead, uh, said Zach. <laughs> so it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, and uh, we experimented with a couple of different things. Um, you know, people are aware that there's these AI voices um, that you, you can get. Um, we tested those. Uh, they just weren't good enough for fiction, no. uh, in, in my view. And, uh, you know, I was shocked. I think it was, it was roughly a year ago. I just sent out an email on, um, I'm not even sure how I found these people, on uh, ACX, I guess, you can contact narrators. And I sent out an email to like 10 narrators saying, hey, we've got this book. Uh, can you give me a, a quote? And I had replies from nine out of 10 of them within 12 hours. So right. for me, that said, okay, these guys are desperate for work. Uh, they're, all, <laughs> they're all professional broadcasters or actors. They, they have really good skills. And uh, then we did this audition process. Um, and, you know, we we're using the Mark Dawson School of uh, Marketing uh, ideas. So it was like, we're going to give away some free short stories. So so I said, okay, do an audition. And the idea would be whoever we select, we're going to work with them on a short story, make sure that we can work with them, and, and then they'll get the big novel uh, uh, work as well. And it, it worked out really well. We went through a couple of different narrators um, and we screened out some people who are a bit over the top, 
but uh, it, it worked out really well. And the, and the prime question was, can we work with this person? And the guy we got, um, Jonathan, Jonathan Strait. Strait. Jonathan, he, he was brilliant. He was really, really good. Mm. Yeah, and I understand he caught a few typos as well while he was... Uh... <laughs> This yeah. is why you got to do the audiobook at the same oh, time yeah. as the novel. You should, oh, you should do the audiobook before you've written your, yeah. your real yeah. book because uh, he'll, <laughs> he'll stop all the bad ideas from happening. <laughs> uh, but J- Jonathan Strait was also, uh, he did a fantastic job on the accents and the German mm-hmm. accent. Uh, the English accent, probably, Mark, it's not up to your standards, but uh, for a Canadian, uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, It's probably better than both my American and German accent, so I won't, uh, I won't embarrass us all with that. So what's coming next, gents? How, dare I ask, how is book two coming along? Yeah. Uh, Slow, not at all. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, no, I'm, no, I'm progress. Some progress. I, I'm pretty busy with my day job right now. So right. Oh, I'm um, very busy too. <laughs> uh, we ha- we have knocked out a few short stories. So I did uh, did one recently that I sent to Mike. Um, I, I have ideas for a book two, uh, maybe a book three, and certainly the key characters, Jack Waters and Ashton, we want to bring back in some capacity because there's some unresolved business. Uh, so I, I think that's a 2023 project. Hopefully we can get time to, to do those things. And, uh, yeah, Mike, what are your thoughts on? Well, so, so here was this funny experience. I think it did, it wasn't clear to me what our book was really about, like as a theme until it was finished. Right. And even finished on the third or fourth time. And, and, you know, I stepped back and I said, okay, our book really is about, you know, for lack of a better word, evil scientists or people who really believe in science and go overboard and pursue evil things, right? Mm-hmm. So, the you know, our book was based on uh, uh, Werner von Braun, the, the guy yeah. who, who was yeah. the world's greatest rocket scientist and, and a Nazi who employed slave labor and killed people mm. and later worked for NASA. Yeah. And and Disney. Yeah. A great, great guy. Yeah. Um, and... and and our char- one of our evil characters is based on him. Uh, and I thought, you know what? In, 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 in history, there are quite a few of these bad guy scientists. If you start to look for them, I came up with like five ideas of sequels. Like we could do five more books in this series and we, we would never run out. Like yeah. historically based bad guys who go just absolutely apeshit crazy in terms of morality to pursue their science. So yeah. there's no shortage of good ideas for where to go with this. Hey, one thing I just want to say, just uh, being part of the BXP community was oh, super yeah. valuable. So I have been listening to the podcast for, you know, many years. I binge listened to, you know, every episode when I first discovered it. And there was a lot of encouragement that I got from that. And I would also encourage anyone who's writing, look, Two knuckleheads like us. We wrote a book. <laughs> Anybody can write a book. You yeah. you just get that discipline and get the energy where you can from the writing community. And I also took part at the BoucherCon conference. I got encouragement from authors that, you know, I don't know why, but they were they were really encouraging to me. Guys like uh, Charles Ardai, the the publisher of Hard Case Crime, or Tal Klein, who's also published by InkShares, and a whole bunch of people that you know everybody struggles with their books. I met Dennis Lehane at the bar at BoucherCon, 
and we were talking and, and he said, oh, yeah, writing books is so hard. I, I don't know how to do it anymore. <laughs> I was like, Dennis Lehane, <laughs> Shutter Island. <laughs> I said, now you tell me. <laughs> but the, the point is, we all suffer through this process. And if you persevere and keep at it, you will get to the end and you'll have a finished product. And, and you'll sell 12 books. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's like to me, it's it's really uh, important to have these kinds of this outlet for creativity and bring your art out to the world. And it doesn't matter if you sell 12 books or 1200 or 12 million. OK, 12 million would be pretty cool. be nice. But yeah. uh, the community is really helpful. And I again, I encourage everybody to sponsor uh, BXP, it's a great podcast and, you know, you can learn a lot uh, from from other writers out there. Thank you so much, Zach. And Michael, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I'm looking forward to book two. I expect to see it real soon, that difficult second album. Uh, but yeah, yeah, until then, happy writing. Then we break and- up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Mark. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Oh, man, I would love to ha- to be part of their dinner table meals mark that must be absolutely <laughs> hilarious the two of them growing up you can imagine the parents be like oh my gosh the banter what how brilliant is it though i mean to i mean what an insight what an insight like talk about hive minds and you get two twins i've always been fascinated in fact i even started writing a book about about twins because i was fascinated about how um their minds kind of almost work in synchronicity with each other yeah. And oddly yeah. enough, I was talking about my 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 daughter earlier in the show. Um, two of her best friends are twins. They live like right. four doors down the road from us. And I get to like chat and, we, and it's just, and they like finish each other's sentences. They're like, they're like, I think 16 or something. And it's just brilliant. But to, to write a book with a twin, I, I mean, how many people in the world have done that? There must, there must be, I don't know, probably more than a handful, but there's probably not that many. No, can't be many. Can't be many at all. And just to just to give you folks a heads up, um, since I last spoke to them, because uh, Zach's been getting in touch, they've confirmed that there are French and German language editions of the book on the way. Ooh. Also, they've been experimenting with Midjourney, the AI art program, to create a graphic novel version of the book. Now, you can debate the pros and cons of AI-generated art. Which we will sent- be for <laughs> many years. Yeah. yeah. But they sent me a look, uh, a link, and it, it looks really good, actually. Uh, and there's samples on their website, so I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can check that out and also the audiobook edition and we'll talk about that later as well they're um they're doing a little giveaway uh that's uh for you exclusive to listeners so you know if you again i'll put a link in the show notes you can email them you can be entered into a draw that they're running so these guys are an industry they know? It, it's, they? it's terrific yeah. yeah totally on it well let's dive in and talk about a couple of things let's talk about NaNoWriMo to begin with because obviously this book happened because of NaNoWriMo which is yeah. we've seen this a lot I mean we had uh we had Grant on for the one of the well, the main guy at NaNoWriMo very early on didn't we in in the podcast yeah, yeah. years ago yeah um, and yeah. Uh, we know a lot of people that take part I know a lot of people listening do NaNoWriMo as well and this is another great example of how when you just need to get that book written you know, when you've maybe been putting it off for too long, you just you just need to spend the time and just just get it done. And this obviously worked worked for Zach, didn't it? Yeah, the, the idea that you know brute force approach can solve almost anything. You know, getting words on the page every day, but it isn't. I've I still haven't done that anymore, and I probably never will because it's just not for me. You know, I know we've had. I mean, I think one of our 
first guest, Robin Stevens, you know, and who's huge now, absolutely massive. Her first book was a NaNoWriMo uh, first draft, you know, so that it clearly is a huge success, but I can't do it. It scares me. It scares me, Mr. D. Just the idea of, you know, th- that many words every day, whereas <clears throat> I tend to go for the, well, as we know, the little and often the 200 words a day. Yeah. You know, that, that's, um, so, you know, I, I take it, I take it smoother. And I did 380,000 words last year, so I'm doing something right. Well, here's the thing. What's that? I think that's phenomenal. That's like, that's like, he's, he's doing his multiplication in his head. That's eight, equivalent almost of eight NaNoWriMo's. I think what we tend to find with NaNoWriMo is that if you, if you go for it and you do the, you do the 50,000 words in a month, then you need to take time off. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a bit like, um, it's, it's a, it, it is a, a marathon. And as we know, uh, I think Zach was saying that he did a lot of preparation Right, for yeah. NaNoWriMo. And I think if you're going to do NaNoWriMo, preparation is absolutely crucial. Like he had everything kind of lined up so he could just write and didn't have to mm. think too much about, you know, plotting things out, character backstories. He just wrote, 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 wrote. And so, again, if you're going into NaNoWriMo, that kind of prep can really work. A bit like you wouldn't just go and run a marathon without having trained for it for a number <laughs> of months. Um, and I think, so So I think I, as, I, as I start to kind of like learn about these different approaches to writing, and I think we're we're here to say to everyone, embrace every type. Try it. Like if, if it's something that interests you, try it. Um, but it's different courses for different horses, isn't it? And I think what we've seen with the 200 word challenge is it's it's if you want to have a writing, if you want to try to establish a, a writing habit for a lifetime, um, that little and often tends to tends to win the, the day. It's a bit actually it's a bit like the rabbit and the hare story, isn't it, in some ways? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's that little and often and, and and it does win the day. So, but I would say to people, if, if you're going to do it, definitely do preparation in advance. Yeah. Do some research. Don't just go on, you know, 31st of October and go, right, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo tomorrow. Don't, don't do, don't do what works. I did. When I, when, when, no, when I was 15, I did the London to Brighton bike race with no preparation. And 15, <laughs> I've never been fitter and it nearly killed me. So, Can I just uh, say saddle saddle sore by any chance? My God, there was a point because you know it goes up and down the downs, and the, there was a point where I, 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 you know, I was going up a hill, and I was saying, "Mark, never ever let yourself be talked into this ever again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preparation is all. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've got to tell you a quick story. One of our one of our mutual friends, Asa, who's who's an insane, amazing cyclist. cyclist. Yeah, they go yeah, off yeah. and do the uh, yeah. the Alps and stuff. And he did this, he did John, the Land's End to John O'Groats. And he said, like three quarters of the way through, he was hobbling around and he had to go see the nurse uh, because he was, he could barely sit on his bike. (laughs) This is very crude. I should be doing this in the extended, but hey, whatever. Um, I sure Asa won't mind. And he he went went to see the nurse and uh, he, and and the nurse took took one look at, at bits and said, that's not, that's nothing. That's not, that's not even bleeding. <laughs> so to anyone who's, to anyone who's uh, like uh, in Lycra and likes to, sh- they'll probably appreciate that joke. But yeah, I've, um, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So, but it is, it's like, these are all, I, I, I say this, Mark, purely analogies, right? We're just going giving analogies. You don't want to, you know, you want to prepare uh, little and often and uh and don't burn yourself out literally so but it's great and um let let's let's talk a little bit about the coding analogies like obviously zach i think it was zach or mike can't remember which um they talked about (laughs) they talked about like doing a bit of programming i think maybe day job and i love this idea of his 
this this kind of sense of writing a book is a bit like writing code for a, a software. So if you think of each chapter as a chunk of code, and it got me thinking about this great analogy whereby it's like you're sitting there writing a soft you're writing the software, which is writing your book. You write chapter by chapter, but it's only when you get to the end of the book that you guess get to press the run button and see if the thing works or crashes. Error. And in a way, in a way, it's like coding in some ways so much easier but not i mean it's not easier but it's in terms of knowing what's wrong about it it you can you, you you know that it's not working so you have to find the bug and fix it whereas as a writer you sometimes don't know if it's running properly you don't know where the bug is you don't know how to dive in and fix that line that's not working yes i mean it's uh you're right. There's usually a tiny line of code, or uh, you know, some some one tiny little thing that's out of place, and it fixes everything. That's never the case with a novel. I know. <laughs> it's, um, it's I've so just uh, this this script that I I sent off this morning. Me and my co-writer, you know, we we've we've gone. We've been writing it a year now, so we've been going around the houses, and it, it it did all kind of lock into place this morning, thanks to the feedback we got from the producers, and it was all to do with the ending, and it was you know. The ending wasn't quite working, but but I I know that as we go forward, you know, if it gets a director, the director will want to make changes, the cast will want to make changes. You know, there'll be all these tiny little tweaks, but there's never ever a, a magic wand or a an antivirus bug you can send in there to to sort it out. Which is why I'm not that worried about um, AI fiction, you know, because so much of what we love about storytelling is um, other little quirks, the little bits of humanity, the little things that don't quite work and don't quite make sense and those mm. uh, things that you can't quite pin down. Or So, yeah, it's um, – it's, but I, I appreciate, you know, what um, Zach or Mike, Zamike, should we call him that? <laughs> <laughs> Zamike, where, where, where kind of, um, you know, they – he did say that it restrained creativity, and one of the things we're going to talk about in the extended version is this um, is this idea of 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 planning and and how that can uh, you know if you over plan it can yeah. stifle things. So definitely, we'll talk about yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be really interesting to dive into that. I like as well this idea. I've heard I've heard this analogy before about you know when you get a bit stuck in a book and maybe the there's not enough conflict or you're just you're just like in that muddy middle as you as you mentioned um and they talked about how you know the Ray, raymond chandler approach of like uh, have a man enter the room with a gun and um, and i love that the, the, the analogy i once heard at one of my writing group sessions was you know throw in an earthquake <laughs> just completely, like just just chuck something like a natural disaster in there because it you know it can completely upend everything and and it's a, but it's a great, it's a great reminder, isn't it? That there's always tools when you find yourself at a dead end in a maze and you think, oh, what, what, how have I come down here? You know, you can have someone, you know, a helicopter fly overboard and start shooting at you, whatever it might be. Well, you know, so I don't want to mention their name because it's a bit of a spoiler, but someone in the Academy wrote a novel with a, an earthquake kind of event right in the middle of it. And it really was, oh, wow, this is really happening. And it was great because it just, it did upend everything. Now, yeah. the, the, the have the man come through the door with a gun, it's, I don't know if it's, 
I've said it's Raymond Chandler, but I think it might also be Norman Mailer. I, I've, I, I can never remember who actually said it. But this actually came up in um, – we had a craft coaching session on Monday with the Academy, and we were doing a, a whole thing about transitions between chapters. So you end a chapter and then start a new chapter. So we were looking at chapter openings and what would have come before and how to have a great cliffhanger and how to open you know, a chapter and keep the reader – because chapters, the purpose of chapters is, you know, one of them is to give the reader a break. The reader goes, right, I finished my writing for the day. I'll pick that up tomorrow. And when they pick the book up again on chapter 13, how do you get them back into it? What what are the little things that you can do? So we were talking about that and um, and little things that you can, you know, little teases and little promises you can you can do to help get the uh, get the reader back into the groove. Uh, and it's um, it was it was absolutely fascinating getting into that. And of course that that you know have a man with a gun. That does, you know, that kind of cliffhanger thing. I mean, James Patterson's made a career out of it. You know, you read his books and Dan Brown, it's cliffhanger, 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 hook, 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 constant kind of hook and bait uh, that, that keeps you reading. So it's, it's definitely yeah. worth studying. It is, isn't it? And, and I remember when we were writing Back to Reality, that was something that oh, we yeah. really latched onto, didn't we? And, yeah. and, I, and I remember us going through every chapter and reading that, those last, that last few paragraphs and asking ourselves, are we leaving? Are we leaving something open here? Are we leaving a cliffhanger for them to want to kind of turn yeah. that page and keep reading? And it's that's a great exercise to remember to do once you've written your first draft. It's good to check in with that as well. Now, another thing that we hear a lot, and it's great to hear Zach uh, and Mike talk about it, is the power of community. This idea of I mean, the way that they talked about it, it's all suffering through the process, which, you know, I think as, as these self-flagellating writers, we like to take on, <laughs> we like to take on that kind of uh, analogy, but, but it is, it's like, you know, going back to the idea of a marathon, a marathon is an incredibly, an incredible thing to achieve. It's an incredible thing to train for. And it's something that you'll remember for the rest of your life. It's something you'll be proud of for the rest of your life. It's something you'll talk about for the rest of your life. And that's why I feel the same as for a book. Like, you don't you don't get anything in life that's easy it has you have to put in the effort it has to be hard and it has to you have to go through a degree of suffering to make it all worthwhile and then once you've done the book then you get this incredible sense of achievement and it's like a life i do think it's a lifetime achievement to write a book even if it's that's all if you write that one book to have done that is, is oh, yeah. huge so many so many people don't even manage to get to that mm. and so when that's the thing to balance it is having that community to support you through. It's a bit like you hear about people that do the marathon. I've never done a marathon, but I've heard about how as you're running the London marathon example, the thing that keeps you going is all the other people running it with you. Mm. Right. Yeah. You've got the crazy people in their big kind of like, you know, bear suits raising money for some charity but there are people who are, you know, remember those, those beautiful moments, Mark, where you see, I remember there were stories of people who'd, like fallen with half a mile to go and they pick them up and carry and them. they yeah. pick them yeah, up yeah, yeah. and they carry yeah. them they carry each other over the line so we can really go deep with this with this um analogy and then you've got all the people lining the streets cheering you on and those are the friends and family who are like how's the book going and keep going and we can't wait to read it you know we can't wait to give you a hug at the finish line and i think you know but it is hard and you do hit this wall and that's why you need community. Like you imagine running a marathon by yourself, 26 miles through London. No one knows that you're doing it. No one's there to support you. No one's there to give you a hug when you cross the finish line. No one there to pick you up or give you a drink halfway along or whatever it might be. Yeah. 
you know, and that's why that's why community is it's not just important; it's absolutely essential, isn't it? I've seen it in action this very week. You know, someone in the BXP group again, no names, but uh, got their an agent wanted to see their book, uh, got very excited, uh, and then sorry, not for us, you know, and mm. everyone rallies around. You know, and I was able to point them to another agent who did the same thing. Uh, but, you know, but this is what it is. You're there. You're there to pick them up. You're there yeah. to to pat them on the back and keep going. And kind of keep thing. going. And yeah. yet, there was another yeah. post in the in the um, BXP team this week where somebody got two requests from two agents at the same time. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. the, you know, at some point that kicks in as well. And then everyone, the thing I love about community is you've got the moments where you pick people up when they've fallen and they think, I can't keep going. I'm done. I'm knackered. I, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. But you also have the moments where something brilliant happens, like they cross the finish line or they reach a milestone and everyone cheers and everyone's like, yes. And they, and everyone feels good about sharing. We're really good about sharing our the good things that happen in life, but in the community, in a, in a right in the right writing community, people are there to cheer you on and 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 get inspired by what you've done, rather than feel jealous or like, well, yeah, but then that's you do that. You know, you get you do get communities where people are a little, there's a little bit too much, almost like competition. It's like who's going to finish the marathon first, and it's not about that. It's about no. everyone helping everyone finish the marathon. Absolutely, I think that was the same person as well. I think it was. Um, I think it was. Again, no names. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to find out names, come and join yeah. the BXP join the group. team. Yeah, yeah. Just, just <laughs> sign up to, what's it, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, and you can learn about all these amazing people you've got in the group. Now, we would love to keep talking, but we're going to dive in a bit deeper on a number of things in this on this interview. We're going to talk about writing together. Um, so in the extended edition of the podcast, because Mark and I've got a little bit of experience about that as well. And we've got oh, a yeah. few things, um, Mark, <laughs> you've got a lot of experience on many different levels, you know, this idea of like CEO or partnership. Um, mm. we're going to also talk about getting your twin, you know, not necessarily twin <laughs> brother. I think that's quite hard to do for many people, but finding your twin, whether that's somebody you're going to be working with in co-writing or somebody that you work with to kind of, you know, as a writing partner that inspires you. So we're going to go deep into that. And we're going to talk about capturing tone as well and how 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 that works when you're writing together. We're also going to dive in and talk about this problem of idea multiplication, as we call it. Um, <laughs> when you just start stacking things up and it gets a bit too much, we're going to we're going to discuss and dissect that a bit more. Also, um, the problem with too much outlining, which again, Mark and I've got a lot of experience at, but something that really connected for me, Mark, in that interview that I'd never thought of before, which I want to share in the extended and audio book auditioning and this idea of <laughs> short stories, some great, great advice. Uh, again, Mark and I'll talk a little bit about, because we went through that process as well with, with um, getting Good. our audio book done as well. So if you are interested in any of those tidbits that we're going to dive in deeper, um, please join us on the extended edition of the podcast. And to do that, you simply go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and sign up to uh, the chart topper patron uh, level and you will get the extendeds plus all of the deep dives we've done as well. Or if you are a member of the bestseller Academy, you get all of the extendeds, uh, including the videos, you get all of those on the Academy. So join us, join us on the extended. So Mark, what's happening on socials this week? 
Laura, Laura, good news. Laura, good news. There's some really good stuff. Um, Kate Baker, whose novel Made of Steel is either out or about to come out. Forgive me, Kate, I've forgotten. But uh, she's, you'll love this. You'll love this, Mr. D, because this this is just about crossing that threshold, is that doing that that scary thing. She's, uh, she put on, a, on the BXP group, she went, oh, my word. So a few days back, I walked into the Ipswich Waterstones and spoke to the manager. She took him a copy of the press release from her novel, Made of Steel, and a paperback copy and a handful of bookmarks. And she said, I attempted that juggling thing of asking for something without asking, so to speak. And he was impressed with the book and he read the blurb and he said, I'll, I'll speak, to the, speak to the team. And she kind of thought, oh, I don't know, maybe he's just fobbing me off. Anyway, he just emailed her and she's now doing a two-hour book signing uh, on publication day. Oh, 28th of February. There we go. Uh, from noon till 2 p.m. at Waterstones in Ipswich because she just walked in with a book and some bookmarks. And, and now Kate says, obviously, no one will come. Uh, so, oh. folks, Tuesday, twenty eighth okay. of February, noon this, till two. I can't make it. Fill I'm the going, shop. Yeah, I'm going to the signing at Dis. Kate, I'm, I, I know she's doing a signing at Dis uh, a little while later, so I'm hoping to go to that. But yes, uh, Waterstones, Let's Ipswich, Tuesday, twenty eighth, noon till two. Let's okay. fill that. Bestseller story. experiment experimentees podcast experiments listeners okay let's do this do you remember that do you remember that thing on twitter it's happened again isn't it like even last week there was there was a thing on twitter about uh um somebody said that their dad had written this book in 2012 oh i saw that yes yeah. and then on, it went uh, TikTok, viral on tiktok <laughs> that's right yeah. sorry not twitter yeah. and it went yeah. viral on tiktok and the book like shot to the number one position yeah. in the in the in the crime i think it was the crime charts in the us on amazon it's amazing so yeah. maybe this is our own little version of that let's completely overwhelm <laughs> let's all head to ipswich waterstones if you're anywhere within the county of suffolk or even cambridgeshire get in the car and and, and go meet kate because kate is absolutely oh, she's brilliant. amazing she's, she's brilliant she's star so, in the making she is absolutely brilliant like everything right. about kate we love she's been she's she's in the academy uh she's she's just really great and very humble with it as well but i think she definitely deserves great support so if you're if you're able to get down to to waterstones um 28th you said 28th of february still time um tuesday 28th of february noon till two noon till two go and support kate and then hopefully we'll get a bit of a fun story of what happens uh um after that but uh, anyway good luck with that kate and congratulations and you know what go for it I think I remember seeing that post on on the on the on the, the Facebook page there, and I thought to myself, I said to her, I said, you know, if you don't ask, right? Don't get. If you don't ask, you yeah. don't get. And and you just have to do it. We've had it with people getting you know features in their local papers, like like start local. If you know you don't have to go to the you know you know number one uh, in the charts, you start with your local papers, your local bookstores, and even if they are chains, and you think, well, oh, Waterstones can't get in there, or Chapters, or whatever. Um, they do. They we we did a two hour book signing in chapters, um, you know, Brilliant. and it was great. And we sold a ton of books. Like people just random people walking past going, Oh, what's this? Yeah. So good luck. Brilliant. I got on did I tell you I got on BBC Southeast News? I want I haven't seen it. You said oh, that you mate. were getting filmed. <laughs> What a stitch up. Right, no, bless them. They were lovely. They came here, they filmed me here. I'll see if I can dig the clip up. But they, you know how they take one thing out of context. Oh, no. They, they right? interview for two hours and you get like a 15 second soundbite. Yes, that's yes. exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, I Welcome spoke to them for TV. about, <laughs> and, yeah, I spoke to them for about an hour. Talking to me, 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 me for an hour <laughs> as if I could do that. How difficult was that? I know. How did, how did you have that much to say, Mark? <laughs> I know, exactly. But I, I said one thing, which was, uh, which is absolutely true. Warner Brothers 
paid, I think, £1.1 million for the script for Unwelcome, which is the most Warner Brothers UK have ever paid for a horror movie script. Uh, and I also said um, I was skint when I sold, the, which is true, that I was down to my last 200 quid, sold the script. Great. But the £1.1 million goes to the film's budget. Uh, doesn't come to I me. I was going to say, hello, Mark. If you were to watch, exactly. If you were to watch this clip, it was like, oh, look, he had 200 quid. Now he's a millionaire, Rodney. No. Oh, uh, my I, I was like, oh, my God. And the thing is, you start getting um, comments Phone. on Facebook, people going, good Stop. for you, Mark. Well done. You yeah. deserve that. I said, no, I'm still skin. <laughs> you know, that was. <laughs> you start getting oh. all these uh, distant. Cousins yeah, and relatives, re- relatives oh, yeah. yeah. Let us survive. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like it's like family member wins lottery, except they didn't. Um, oh my gosh! And that was the was that the one clip that they 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 uh, yep. they led Went with. Round. Yeah, John, John, the director, he was he was creased up with that. He was like, "Yeah, you've been stitched up. Well done, mate. Well done, mate. Good one." Do you know what's so funny? It's the same week, Mark, that you were on um, South South. It was BBC Southeast News, wasn't it? Um, uh, again, a mutual friend of ours from school, Mark Stockhausen. Did you hear about this? He was on no. Channel 4 News. Channel 4 News. Stocky. Stocky. The lead, the, it was the lead article about the recession. It was like, oh. they were talking about, oh, it's a strikes and Sunak and the government, blah, blah, blah. And they wanted to interview somebody who's kind of at the forefront of like the public sector, like Mark Stockhausen owns a number of pubs. Yeah. And he's a landlord, right? So he sees, he sees like he gets to meet the, you know, the clientele and he knows how hard, you know, the economy's hitting his business stuff. Do you know what they did to stitch him up? Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> so, so they, just picture this scene, folks. Pub landlord and Mark. So Mark will laugh at this. We've had it. We've had, we've been jibing him all, all all month about it. They the Channel Four News get him filming. They say we just need some like cutaway shots and stuff before we do the interview. Can you throw some darts at the dart? <laughs> <laughs> He's not a bad. He's not. He's not a bad uh, dart player. But he's there in his suit, right? He's wearing a suit. So, like, who wears a suit when you play darts? You need t-shirt, big fat belly, and a pint of beer and a fag, right? So, uh, cigarettes. Sorry, folks. <laughs> that was my British bit. But anyway, so Stocky is is on the hockey, and he's and he's got the cameras on him, and he's like trying to throw darts, and he can't hit the dartboard. <laughs> And the bit that they show on the news is him pulling a dart out of the wooden part above the bottom. <laughs> and the comment from the guy filming is, oh, I hope your, I hope your beer's better than your dart playing. <laughs> and that's the first bit you hear oh, on the interview. Send me a clip. Send me a clip. Stitched him up. And, oh, my God, I've never laughed so <laughs> well, they, they they asked me. They said, "Oh, can we? Because you have to do the noddies, right? The oh, noddies, the nods, yeah, yeah." And once you know this happens, you'll never watch an interview the same way again. Because what oh, they no, do is they'll because they only have one camera, but it looks like a two camera. Yeah, thing. they switch. So they'll yeah. switch around, and you'll be sitting there nodding as if you're <laughs> listening to the other person, and they're not actually saying thing. And the interviewer does it too. So yeah. whenever you see someone nodding, they're not actually listening to the other person. It's something they did five minutes yeah. after the interview ended. But they also asked me to write. So I sat down and I wrote at my desk, and there's a clip of me writing. And what I'm writing... That's not stereotypical, of course. No, exactly, exactly. And what I'm writing in my notebook, and I've got it here somewhere. Uh, I've got it... um, (laughs) uh, Where is it? It's it's something like, you were writing this while you were being filmed by BBC South (laughs) News. Uh, You were writing this, and I'm just doing that over and over again, like Jack Nicholson, The Shining, which is in my Shining notebook as well. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. 
I'll, I, you know, oh. I'll, I'll dig a clip out and I'll, I'll oh, put it. I can tell you some stories. I don't. I got. I've got so many TV stories. I've, I've been on TV a lot, bizarrely. Um, <laughs> location, location, location. I was on that show. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years ago, right? <laughs> so, for anyone not in the UK, uh, this is kind of like the extended of the extended of the podcast. Now we're going into our lifelong stories, but this is a funny story. Um, I was on the I was on the sofa with Kirsty and Phil talking about my property business because really? I was like trying to you know change the world with my you know, how people bought and sold property in the UK. And um, the funniest bit, I was standing there watching uh, the woman before me get filmed. And we're in some kind of warehouse. I've got spray on makeup, Mark. They put, they sprayed on foundation. I'm like, what the hell are you doing to my face? Nice. I look like Mudman. It was, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. Anyway, so Kirsty and Phil are sitting on the um, sofa with this other woman. And this other woman's talking about her eco project that she's got. And it's really interesting. And out of nowhere, like there's a ton of people. There's a this camera on this like... Um, semi-circular track that they go zooming around get really right. funky shots on Channel 4 and it's all really set up and like the whole the rest of the place around the outside is like a complete mess it's like some wet, like metallic factory warehouse but the set looks amazing and everything around is like rusty and horrible but out of the corner of my eye this woman walks out with cans on his headphones and she's like stop 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 after 10 minutes of filming and I thought oh someone said something really bad and well, they've, they've advertised something they've got to like pull it back and they've got to refilm it and the woman said I kid you not director she said darlings you know I've just been watching it on the screens in the in the in the room and um uh, and I can't remember the lady's name to call her Sarah Sarah um you're crossing your legs exactly the same way as Christy so I, I just need you to shift around and maybe you could like swivel around this way and look and I thought I thought oh my god because what you see on TV is like it's really nicely polished you know like you know, three minute segment. And they just like ditched like 10, 15 minute interview because she had her legs crossed the same way. And I thought, oh my, it's like, it was a bit like my spray on fake tan that I had. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> what you see is not what you get. Brilliant. We we need, we need a clip. Send me a link for a clip. We've got to watch that. Anyway, back to social media. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if anyone's got any stories about their TV uh, experiences, oh, yeah. send them in. We'll read them out. It's all good fun. Brilliant. Brilliant. Especially if right. it was about your book. Brilliant. Yes. Sorry, yes. back keep, to social media, Mark. Keep it, keep it on Keep it on Another bit of celebrating. Elizabeth Hurley, who's a member of uh, the BXP team as well, uh, she said, today I published the conclusion of my Quantum Curator series. Uh, she says, more to come, but this arc is complete. And she says, I genuinely couldn't have done it without this group. Uh, many of you read my first book as beta readers and assured me it wasn't <clears throat> a rude word. Um, from there, my confidence grew. And she says, with help from Mark Stay and Julian Barr, because we both worked on them as Edited. I, at least I did. I didn't do the first one. The, the, the two, three, four, and five. Uh, the series went from strength to strength. I'm so happy to have got to today. And they are an amazing series. If you like uh, time travel history, uh, it's about these people from a parallel universe who come to our universe and rescue our artifacts. It's great. The Quantum Cur Curator series. She writes them as Evis and John. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can find them, and they are rollicking good fun terrific characters brilliant sense of history really really enjoyed them uh, and last but by mo no means least uh, Morgan Delaney again I've worked on this book with Morgan as well as uh, editorial capacity The Squared Circle which is uh, an Illumiere sisters adventure and this is um, it's so much fun a bit like The Wishes of Woodville set in a strange little village where weird stuff happened you've got werewolves quantum physics vigilantes moving statues it's wonderful uh, it's coming on March 1st so it's available for pre-order now so I'll put a link in the show notes you can check that out as well so Great. again 
you know, members of the Academy of the Best Seller Experiment Group on Facebook, smashing it out of the park. Smashing it out of the park, guys. Congratulations. So brilliant to hear. And every week, it's like it's just, just this constant uh, conveyor belt of new books being finished, new books being released, and amazing stories. So f- don't forget, folks, if you've had something that you want to celebrate with us in your life, because life is should be about celebrations, right? It should be about celebrations. So we want you to get in contact with us and tell us about something good that's happened in your life. Let us share it with everyone. Not only not only will it be fun to hear us chatting about you on the podcast, because we love that. This is our favorite segment. And I'm, I'm going to say this out loud. I've, I've just I've just suddenly wondered after six years if people think we're paid to to like these are the this is not there is we are just celebrating we should shouldn't we oh god well, i just suddenly thought we completely <laughs> missed out Mark. i mean bloody hell folks like why didn't someone no all of all of these this is just these are stories that people are sending us in so if you've been holding back thinking this is some sponsored segment of the show um it isn't just just tell us your news we'd love to celebrate and we love not yet also, not yet yeah yeah Get, okay let, sorry let me just let's just clap and we'll redo the segment so folks for a limited time only no 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 i'm serious um we want to celebrate your successes so if you um have something to share please let us know not only because it'd be fun to hear your name on the podcast but also it inspires everyone else yep. to follow suit i can't begin to tell you the amount of people who've told us oh i heard you mention about that person and it and i was really stuck at that point and they went through a similar thing with me and now i finished my book so again knock on effects for everyone you're, you're serving the writing community by by mm. celebrating your successes so uh, go to the website bestsellerexperiment.com go find the contact us form that's at the top of the uh, navigation. Click on that and send me and Mark a message and we get all of those messages to us. Tell us about something that you want to celebrate, big or small, big or small. Absolutely. So on social Dave. media as well. On social media as well, you can contact us there. Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. And if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes, you've been inspired by them, uh, give us uh, a rating on uh, your podcatcher. Uh, five stars. Why not five stars? A little review, maybe something nice just to make writers out there thinking, are there any good podcasts for writers out there, especially ones set in the UK? That's us. That's us. Send them, send, send them away and subscribe as well. That always helps too. And we'll also say as well, like, thank you to everyone who watched the YouTube video of Richard Armitage. It's gone yeah. viral, as we said. If you <laughs> haven't checked us out on YouTube, please come and subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Um, simply go to YouTube and type in bestseller experiment and you will find a ton of videos. And if you've never seen me and Mark on camera before, um, it's just worth it's just worth it just to kind of get the randomness of us chatting uh, across the, across the continents you know me in mm. canada mark in the uk um so come and check out a youtube video leave a comment but do subscribe and then you'll get notifications of everything that we put out via there as well folks anyway mr stay uh, another cracking episode it's been a lot of fun oh my gosh reminiscing mm. too too many oh god it's, it's like it's been sit down the pub with the marks isn't it it's becoming a bit like this show kind of yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i, I think it's been like that no darts no darts though absolutely someone could get very injured if I started throwing darts around especially Mm. after a few gin and tonics or or large shandies but um (laughs) brilliant have a fantastic writing week folks thank you so much for listening to this episode we so much appreciate you journeying with us and us journeying with you and until we meet next next week until next time it's a goodbye from Mark 1 and a goodbye from Mark 2 a goodbye goodbye